Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Some of you have your swimming trunks on. Is that what I see underneath there? Welcome here. Congratulations to you graduates. We're glad to have you joining with, uh, joining us in worship, uh, whoever you may be. My name is Jeremy. I'm the preaching pastor here. And uh, today is a special day. It's the last day of the book of First John. We're wrapping up this series and then transitioning into a more topical summer series. Uh, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the sin that leads to death, and then I'm going to run like the wind to Missouri for the next couple weeks, and then we'll start Proverbs after that. So we are delighted to have you here to worship with us. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers or have had fathers or no fathers or whatever. Um, your connection may be Happy Father's Day. I'd like to try something this morning. I don't always do this because I'm not the world's greatest cheerleader. However, uh, let's see if you are willing to say this with me. Are you ready? Uh, The first slide, it goes like this. This is simple. We can all do it together. Here we go. It says, he, everybody, has no claim claim on me. All right. You guys are awesome. Let's try that one more time. I think we're getting it. You're saying it. I'm not, so, I didn't know if I was going to be just left to die up here or if you would help. Thank you very much. Let's say it together one time. Here we go. He has no claim on me. Excellent. Exactly right. First John chapter 5, verse 19. This is the end of the book. And I think in some ways this somewhat summarizes the message. Um, first John, you'll see, is written to believers and Uh, You, I hope, are believers, but let me show you what I mean in this 19th verse. It says this. It says, we know. We know. We know that we are from God. We know that we are from God. And, here's the other side of the coin, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Last week we spoke about marriage and uh, we used human marriage to develop the theme of the divine marriage, the mystical union that occurs between us and Christ. And this week I'll in fact say that there is not only one union, but in fact there are two. There is the divine and there is the diabolical as well. The second half of verse 19 says it like this. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is an illicit union described not between Christ and the church, but instead those outside of Christ. You who are in Christ are united or married, if you will, to him. Even if you are not married, you are married to Christ. You are his bride. You are Mrs. Christ. If, however, you are outside of Christ, then there is another union at work in your life, but not to Christ. Instead, you, like the rest of the world, are united to the evil one. You lie in the arms of the wicked one as his mistress and his slave. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 says it like this, There is a sin that leads to death. All wrongdoing, of course, is sin, 
but there is a sin that leads to death. These are ominous notes, and if we stop there, it's pretty scary. What is it? What is the sin that leads to death? Have I committed it? Am I about to commit it? Am I committing it right now? Is any of my loved ones or my friends committing it? What is the sin that leads to death? There are a couple of questions you have to answer in order to answer this question. First, you begin with, um, what does he mean by death? And that may seem like a simple question in the sense we all know what death is in a physical way. We've either seen it or heard of it or something. But is the death that John is referring to physical death or is it spiritual death? As you pursue his letter, what in fact I think you see is that death here is not the physical death, but it's instead the spiritual one. Because the entire letter he talks not about your physical life, but about your eternal, your spiritual life. So in order to be consistent and to draw that parallel that the um, Jewish poets often do, comparing one to the other, you compare eternal life with eternal death. And in like manner, then, you could interpret this, and and a lot of people do, because it's kind of a tricky passage, and you could say, okay, well, perhaps it's not, you know, eternal death, perhaps it's physical death, and it's like the one in 1 Corinthians, Lord's Supper, or perhaps it's like Ananias and Sapphira. But if you do, I think you're leaving the letter of 1 John, and you're going to another place to arrive at your conclusion. And so a better interpretation, then, is to stay within John's writings and say, What does John mean when he says the sin that leads to death? I think he means eternal death. And then you follow that through and you say, okay, well then, um, what is that sin? And if you've eliminated some of those other options, then you land back in his letter. And what you see is throughout the whole book, he's been emphasizing the person and work of Christ. Who Jesus is, that Jesus has come in the flesh and that this is what he did. And these Gnostics or these false teachers, these wolves, are trying to lead people astray by undercutting that message. By saying, no, 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 he wasn't really fully human. He was just an apparition or a spirit. No, 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 God didn't really die. In fact, we've figured out a higher way. And they begin to walk down that path and they intentionally, even though they've been exposed to the message of the gospel, have said, we reject that message and we willfully persist in another direction to the extent that not only are we believing it ourselves, but we're teaching others to do the same. We're intentionally leading people away from the message of Christ. That is the sin that leads to death. In context, in the book of 1 John, what is the sin that leads to death? I think it's the willful, persistent, intentional denial of the person and work of Christ, leading to your eternal death. That's what John is working on. In his context, in his setting. So some of us may wrestle with that question sometimes. You doubt our salvation, wonder if we're doing okay. You know, if you are currently believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you have repented of your sins, and you are not committing this sin. If you have rejected Christ, then you're on that path. 
There's still hope for you because you might be forgiven and you might turn the other way. But if you willfully persist in that for the rest of your life, you're going to die. And not just physically, but spiritually. Forever. That is the sin that leads to death. So follow that through then. You ask the question, well then what's the point? Why is, why is this the last thing that John is mentioning in his letter? That's not very encouraging. Well, what happens is, is if you read this as I'm reading it right now, as a modern Christian, and you hear that big sin that leads to death phrase, man, your mind goes right there. And you're like, whoa, focus in on that. But if you step back for a moment and think about the broader context, and you look at this passage, what in fact you see is that that is by no means his emphasis. Who is he writing to? Is he writing to the people, the Gnostics, that are sinning unto death? Not really. He's writing to his children, his beloved, his dear ones in the faith. Over and over again he says, my technia, my children, my children, my children. He's not writing to the people who are committing this sin. He's saying, watch out for them who are. But you yourselves, what I want you to know in my closing thoughts is how secure and how strong and how settled and entrenched in Christ you actually are. So look at this passage, backing up a few verses. You start with verse 13. See, this is sort of the sandwich. The warning is in the middle. That's the meat. But the bread of assurance is on both ends, at the start and at the finish. Here's the start, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God. Why? Why am I writing this letter? To warn the Gnostics and beat you over the head? No. I write it to you, my technia, my beloved children, so that you may know that you have eternal life. To provide you assurance and confidence and encouragement so that you can live this thing with victory. And this is the confidence that we have. Now, follow the rest of the verses. Verse 18. Next slide, please. That we may know. Verse 19. That we may know. Verse 20. That we may know over and over again from start to end. First verse, last verse, middle, everything in between. The reason I'm writing this is so that you may know know that you have eternal life. This is, in fact, an encouraging passage. If we dwell on a sin that leads to death the whole time, we miss his actual point. His point is not for those outside who are committing this sin, but you inside who are not. This is to encourage you and give you confidence that you may know. As a result, just like that slide we saw last week, our belief results in God's assurance which produces confidence in us. Therefore, we can fulfill the message of 1 John. We can walk in the light of God's love and victory and not be led astray by anything false. At the end of this passage, you'll see him say something like, little children, don't be led astray by idols. And you're like, boy, that's a weird way to end a book. But it fits completely in theme and in keeping with his message. When you follow the broader context, you see, walk in light of God's love, And victory. And don't be led astray by anything false. As long as you are walking in the light. You are pursuing that path. You are trusting in God. You know you're not committing the sin that leads to death. You believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus. Then you have a problem. But if you are trusting in Christ. You're on the right path. So today then. I'll basically have uh, two simple points. They are number one. Jesus. And number two, guess what? Jesus. 
It's not that hard, really. What we're looking at today is what Jesus did. This is a slide just one ahead of the verses. What Jesus did and who he is to me. The structure of this passage will break down into two major points. What he did and who he is to me. Now let's go ahead and trace this out then in the last few verses. Verse 16 through 21. This is who Jesus, what he did and who Jesus is to me. 1 John chapter 5 says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, that is. There is, however, a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. In other words, God will never forgive someone who rejects Jesus. If you reject Jesus, there's no forgiveness. So that type of prayer is ineffective. Dear Lord, He rejected you. Please forgive Him for that. No, God won't forgive that. You have to accept Jesus. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is also sin that does not lead to death, like the stuff we do all the time. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but, listen to this, he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, contrary to the Gnostics, and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What He did and who He is, Jesus outlined in only a few verses. Here are the points. If you're looking uh, for some sub-points, there will be three under each of these. So if you're making an outline, you can write, you know, 1A, B, C, uh, and 2A, B, C. Uh, We'll develop those as we go along. Let's begin with 1A, Jesus, what he did. The first thing that you need to know that Jesus did is that he came. He came. Jesus came. John 1 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now that may seem to us, as, if you will, as a moot point, something like what we as Christians have believed for a long time. But when you examine the world systems that are trying to undercut the gospel message, this is one of the first things they'll go for. They will try to deny the fact that the Messiah has come, and such was the case in the first century as well. If you can undercut the person, then you totally destroy the message. And so right away they go after the person and they say, whoa, 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 hold on. God, flesh, you know, flesh is bad, so mm, not so sure about that. And they undercut the message. You see this in chapter 4, verse 2, where John says, hey, you want to know who the bad guys are? Look at this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh that Jesus Christ is fully man, is from God. Now, whoever confesses the Son has the Father. The first thing you have to say is that Jesus came. What did He do? He came. He came. Jesus came. B. He has given us understanding. John 1.14 
continues. I only gave you the first part of the verse. The second half says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus later spells it out and just says, hey, whoever's seen me has seen the father. In other words, one of the main reasons that Jesus came is to reveal God the father. Because we have tangible, written evidence, but we have never seen the glory of God in the flesh, in person, in first person uh, encounter sort of thing. Jesus coming says, whoa, here is God right in front of us. Now we can see his eternal glory. Jesus came and Jesus gave us that understanding. Third, and this is uh, point C, Jesus, this is kind of tricky and interesting. I have, I don't, we're not going to show it quite yet, but I do have some slides that are going to help you walk through this. Jesus united us to himself. He came, he gave us the understanding of God the Father, and he united us to himself. All throughout the New Testament, you'll hear the Apostle Paul sign his letters in Christ. When I sign my emails, I also sign them in the same two words. Because in my mind, those are probably two of the most significant words in the entire New Testament. For this reason, we live and move and have our being because we are in Him. Outside of that, we are in trouble. But inside of that, we are secure. Let me explain. John 14.20 says this. And you can just listen to these words and it's going to wrap your minds up a little bit. It's going to spin some and then I'll show you a picture of what it means. Jesus says, in that day, that's now, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Got it? Good. What this is, is this is the mutual indwelling of God, that God dwells in us and that we dwell in God. And it's a rather strange thing because you tell your children something like, well, invite Jesus into your heart. Be careful with that, <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it's cute, but it may be a bit confusing, right? What if the kid has a hole in their heart and says, Jesus might fall out? <laughs> you know? It's a bit more transcendent. It is mystical. It is a union indeed, but it is beyond the simple words that we express. So here in this passage, Jesus tries to wrap it up, but it's still confusing. So let me show you this graphic. Here's the first slide I'd like to show you. This is God the Father and God the Son. Now, I have them separated because I don't know how else to do this, but the Trinity is one. But just for the sake of analogy, so I can illustrate this, let me show you what I mean. So you have God the Father and God the Son, both fully God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Now, what Jesus says is that I am in the Father. So what does that look like? Here's the slide. Father, Son. Father, Son. We got that, right? Now, the next movement that we see in this verse is that I am in the Father and you are in me. Father, Son, us. We are now brought into the divine Trinitarian union. We are not divine ourselves, but we are dwelling in him in a mystical sense. But then you read the rest of it and it says, and I in you. Now, how does that happen? Well, here it is. Uh, Jesus tells us, and in fact, John does as well in chapter 4, verse 13, this book we just read. 
By this you will know that we abide in him and he in us. How do we know that? Well, because he has given us his spirit. Because Christ is one with the spirit in the Trinity, when the, Trini- when the spirit goes inside of us, that's like having Jesus inside of us. So the final circle here looks like this. You have Father, Son, us, Spirit. All dwelling, united together. That is really significant. Keep that in your minds. This is your hope for eternity. And this is your confidence in daily life. As soon as you step outside of that, you get into trouble. This is how we know that we are sure. And this is how we know that we are secure. When you are united, you are married, you are in God, then you are safe. But the moment you get outside of that, you have left his protection and you're in trouble. This is where you are secure. So that is what Jesus did. And then I will walk it through in three, three like uh, manner points to show who he is to us. So, number one, what did Jesus do? He came. He gave us understanding, and he united us to himself. Now, who is he to me? Three things. I'll just read them out. You can write them down, and then we'll talk about them. First of all, he is my life, he is my protection, and he is my victory. He is my life, he is my protection, and he is my victory. First of all, he is my life. John 14.6 says this, This is one of our favorite verses in all of Christianity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus says. Now, what you must not miss in this is this. Jesus does not say, I know the way. Follow me. He does not say, I know the life. Let me introduce you to him. He does not say, I have the truth. Let me explain it to you. What does he say? I am that life. I am the truth. I am the way. Like you cannot go to the Father unless you go through me because I am the way. I'm the gate. (laughs) You You cannot know God unless you know me because I am the truth. I reveal him. You cannot have eternal life unless you have me because I am life. I started it. I created it before everything else that was. I am. In this verse, it is ego eimi. I myself am. The great emphatic divine statement where God himself says, I am the eternal preexistent one. I am. Jesus is. That's it. Your English teacher would tell you that's not a very good sentence. It's a noun and equate a verb. It should have a direct or some sort of object after it. What's going on? No, just, Jesus just is. I am all of these things. Jesus is life. And that's why it's so essential. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't, you don't. Why? Because he is life. He is life. He holds it all together. That's why John and... Um, Chapter 5, verse 13, when we just started this passage, says this, I write these things that you might believe in the name. What's that? Just a title? No, it is the person of the Son of God that you may know that you have 
eternal life. So Jesus is life. Secondly, he's your protection. First uh, John chapter five verse eighteen. This is an interesting verse because you read it and you start to go bugga bugga bugga. All right. If you didn't, you will now. Ready? Here we go. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. Bugga bugga bugga. Who is he and who is him? They're actually different. He protects him. He is Jesus. Him is you. In this text, we have two different people who are born of God. In the first phrase, we have who has been born. And the second phrase, we have who was born. In original language, those are actually different tenses and they seem very subtle in English. But in fact, the key is that Jesus has always proceeded from the Father and never had an exact beginning. We, on the other hand, came to know faith And in that sense, we came into the faith and had a faith beginning. We have been born, but Jesus is always generated from the Father in that sense. He is eternal. So in this text, what it says is, we know that everyone who has been born of God, that's us, does not keep on sinning. If you're a Christian, you do not live or dwell in persistent, ongoing sin. That demonstrates something about your faith, if you do, that it isn't. But he who is born of God, that is Jesus, protects him, the Christian, and the evil one does not touch him. That's absolutely essential because if you interpret it another way, what's the other way? Well, to interpret the he as us. (laughs) I protect me? Not really. (laughs) That's not very good protection because I mess up. I'm dependent upon someone who has never messed up to eternally secure me. But if I can secure me, then I can unsecure me. But if I want to know that I'm really secure, I should be in the hands of someone who cannot have their hands plucked open. Who do you think that is? John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. If Jesus secures you, you cannot get away, even from yourself. You're not stronger. If I'm holding on to my little two-year-old, she can kick and scream and whine and cry, but I am stronger. I can hold her. She's going to make a lot of noise. It's going to wear me out. It won't be pleasant. People might call Child Protective Services. But I'm not letting her run out in the parking lot or the driveway, even if she really wants to. (laughs) She's stuck. (laughs) And she might get in trouble. I might discipline her. She gets to go to her crib and she loses her bubba or whatever. But she can't get away. I've got her. I am too strong for that. Now, at some point, that changes, right? But at this point, you get the picture. If Christ is your life and you are in him then you can't pull yourself away. He's got you and his arms are wrapped around you. You are his sheep and you cannot unsecure yourself because he's stronger. And if that analogy doesn't work for you, then consider this one. He is your life. He is your protection. He is your victory. Jesus does it like this. Listen, tough guys, you who lay in your bed at night 
And imagine what you would do if an intruder broke into your home. I would take care of him. He would stand no chance of me defending my wife. <laughs> you know? So you lay asleep at night and you imagine the bad guys coming in and how many dudes you'd throw left and you'd throw right and this is what you'd do and you'd wrestle like this and man, then you would dust off your shirt and call it a day and go back to bed. No problem, baby. Gotcha. <laughs> right? Because that's what happens if you enter a strong man's house. If you want to take something he loves, you have to tie him up first. Wait, I think Jesus said that. Yeah, in fact, he did. Matthew chapter 12 and following, he says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man? Then, indeed, he can plunder the house. Who's the strong man? Satan. He's strong. He's stronger than me. Stronger than you. And in fact, he rules this world. That is how he's referred to in John chapter 12, verse 31, as the ruler of this world. He is the archon of this cosmos. He's ruling the world. So how in the world can we be protected or delivered or safe? Who will deliver us? Well, if someone wants to break into his kingdom and take us out, then they have to be stronger than the one who rules over it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. This is how it happened. Jesus shared in our humanity. Oh, he came in the flesh. So that, ironically enough, by his death, He might destroy, obliterate, blast him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. Now, John says, this is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Then, just before he does that, this is what Jesus says. Before he goes to the cross, he's talking to his disciples. He says, guys, we've talked a lot. I'm explaining it as best I can. You're not getting it. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit's coming. But here's the deal. No longer am I going to talk a lot with you. Why? For the ruler of this world is coming and... Say it. He has no claim on me. He has no claim on me. He's stronger. Do you understand that? He is bigger. He's badder. In every way, Jesus is stronger. And if that is the case, then how are you ripped away from the other ruler? By the arch ruler, the archagos, the ruler of all things. He enters the house. He binds the strong man. He destroys him. And he takes you out. And therefore, if you are in him, just like that little circle globe, then you're safe. In him. If you get out of that, you're not. Because that other ruler is stronger than you. 
But so long as you are in Christ, then you are secure. And no one can rip you out of his hand. Because you are in him. If that is the case, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you can say this. When the devil comes to assault you and pull you down and tempt you and draw you away and give you the things that you should not have and trade the things that you really want for the things you don't, then you say to him the same thing Christ did. He has no claim on me. I am bought. I am purchased. I am redeemed. I am given to someone else. My dowry has been paid. And as a result, I am no longer my own. I am Christ. I do not belong to me. I am not my own. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in me. And as a result, I am Him. And therefore, I am secure. I am in Christ. Yes, there are two unions. There are two completely different marriages. One is to the world. And one is to God. Jesus came to deliver you from that illicit, unlawful union. To bind the strong man. To destroy him. Tie him up for good. He came. He gave us understanding. He united him. United us to Himself. He is my life. He is my protection. He is my victory. The world lies in the power of the evil one. It sleeps with Him. But He has no claim on me. For I am from God. I am in Him. And He is in me. Therefore, He has no claim on me. Father, You are good and gracious God. Everything you do is right and true and just. Evil one wants to grab us and pull us down. And your sweet apostle says to us, Beware little sheep. Watch out for the wolves. Stay in the fold. And stay close to your shepherd. God, help us to do that. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Even though we walk through the world, the valley of shadow of death, We will fear no evil, for you are with us. You make us lie down at green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our souls. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name and person we pray. Amen.